Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Forever Dog I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain down I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even means I just want you in my arms again And we can search each other's dreams What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? This is Rhea Butcher, the post of this here... The post? The host of this here podcast. <laughs> Three swings. The post of this here podcast. Three swings. Uh, which is what you're listening to. It's a podcast about baseball and other things. This episode is going to be mostly baseball. Um, so, but I'm going to, you know, speak from the heart up top and then we'll get into some baseball and then we'll, we'll wrap it up with a, a little, uh, let you know about anti-trans laws at the ending. Um, I was just spending a moment before I got onto this podcast, sort of quietly asking to be reminded what I wanted to tell you guys. Cause I was, um, getting ready to record this podcast and I thought, oh yeah, I should mention that. And then I wanted to write it down and I had nowhere to write it down and I was like, I'll remember and then I didn't. I don't know how many times that has happened to you, but it has happened to me many times. And uh, if it's important, it'll come back to me. And if it doesn't come back to me, then uh, it wasn't that important. But I was going to talk about it, and now I don't remember. Um, I got to do a little uh, kickoff campaign for Nina Turner for uh, a con- congressional district in Ohio that I believe it's con- Congressional District 11, which I believe is... Marsha Fudge, now Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, should have been agriculture, but whatever. Um, That was her district, uh, and Nina Turner is now running for that spot. So if you are listening and you live in Akron or you live in Congressional District 11, um, look that up. It's very easy to find if that's where you live. It, It encompasses a lot of Cleveland, like many districts in this country. It is incredibly gerrymandered, so it includes really strange uh, land and places. Um, but she was literally in Highland Square yesterday uh, talking to people and get people excited. It's on August 4th, so check her out. You know, this is not like Three Swings endorsing her. This is Rhea Butcher saying uh, she's a great candidate. She is uh, Medicare for All. She is Green New Deal. She is Pro Act. She is all the things that we need. Um, to take care of each other and our planet um, and our future. So check that out. Um, Also, I got to play some baseball yesterday. Felt a little better about it. I'll say for me, difficult to get into competition (laughs) again. Um, Because like, I I am very competitive. uh, And I've struggled, I think, with uh, that statement. I guess I would say, maybe not struggled, but I've gone back and forth about it because I feel like, you know, as uh, 
female conditioned people, um, we tend to, or female cultured, whatever you want to say, um, woman cultured, you know, you, you understand what I'm grasping at here. Like I, 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 I was not raised in a, in a, in an environment that believed that I was masculine <laughs> enough or whatever. So anyway, uh, you know, we're kind of taught that like competitiveness is not a desirable trait, you know? Um, and I think that can be applied to anybody, you know, I, none, none of this is hard and fast and it is stereotypical, but also pretty true that, uh, you know, it's also, I think, uh, a part of why, you know, um, we segregate by gender for sports. I mean, the number one reason is just exclusion is how capitalism, patriarchy, uh, all of this stuff works. You know, it's how it keeps going. It's, it's how it, it's part of what feeds the machine, right? If you exclude people, then, um, you give them a reason to like pay to try to be included. Um, but I also think that the sort of puritanical vision of, the Victorian puritanical vision of femininity being this sort of stayed, you know, detached sort of, um, you know, dainty thing like competitiveness in women is, you know, not, not something that we as a culture really desire, you know, as an American, a white hetero patriarchy culture. And so I think too, then when you have a woman being competitive against a man, like, that what does that make the woman? What does that make the man? And I'm I'm using binary language here because I'm describing a binary system. So um, sometimes I'm going to just go in and out of that without giving a sort of uh, explanation why I think you guys can keep keep up with that. But I just wanted to say say that. Um, and but at the same time, on an individual level, when then when I'm speaking as Rhea Butcher, like. Uh, you know, I didn't like, I don't say that in groups, you know, especially not at baseball. Cause I hear women say that and they're like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really competitive. And they say it like it's this bad thing, you know? And then the guys that I play with who are competitive, I never, I literally rarely hear men say, Oh, I, you know, I'm competitive like that. I mean, I do hear them say that, so I'm not going to make, you know, big broad statements, but it's just not at the same it's not the same thing at the same level. Um, and then at the same time, again, as an individual at the individual level, there is a reckoning for me with competition and like competitiveness and like when it has value and when it's a detriment, because again, you know, like to be black and white and then swing the other way and be like, competition is great and fine. And da, 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 da. It's like, I don't actually want to be in competition with everybody all the time. <laughs> I actually don't want to live my life as though it is a competition because it is not actually. That's what I've learned in the past couple of years is, um, and this is coming from a person who started a podcast kind of based on the fact that they didn't think their team was ever going to win the world series. And then their own team won the world series. And then their team of people that they really enjoy won the world series. So I am on the other side of that, but part that is part of the journey of understanding that like oh it's the getting there it's the working together it's being a team it's being a part of you know and succeeding within that you know like that doesn't mean i diminish my ability or um make myself small like it's it's actually right down the middle you know what i mean and um 
So for me, we were starting to get back into baseball and people want to play games. Like they want to get into pickup games right away. And I am much more on the, like, I want to work on skills. I want to get like conditioned back into it. I want to do reps of like, cause otherwise I'm terrible. <laughs> like I'm really bad. And I'm my ability it, to, to try to, to build up your ability once a week in a game, you're hitting maybe twice. Uh, and so th- that to me, you know, I just, I really didn't, and I just didn't want to get into competition yet. You know, I just didn't want to get into that mode because to me, that's a deadly, for me, it's a deadly combination of, um, competition. Cause for me, when the, there's a game and there's teams and we're playing against each other, I want my team to win, you know, like, and so perhaps I'm being given an opportunity to just enjoy the game, even though it's a game and there's a quote unquote winner and a loser. So I'm definitely being given that opportunity. But at the same time, like I said, it's just it's a deadly combination of, you know, the the want to win, the strive to be good and better and like to grow and evolve past your skill set. And then the competition coming in and not having the time to build back my skill set, because this is the most out of shape I've been for baseball probably ever, except for maybe the first season. But even then I was doing these like hikes up a hill every day, just about. So, you know, and, and that's okay, but I I am out of shape, you know? So, um, so that's been interesting, but all this is to say that I realized, you know, when, when the game was starting, I was like, maybe it's just going to be fun, you know? And I had fun and I sat down because I'd been playing for a long time and I got a lot of practice in. So that's, you know, we just get to decide for ourselves, really. And I we also watched the Tina, Tina Turner documentary last night. And if you have not seen it, I highly recommend it. It's tremendous. I knew her story, but I did not know her story, you know. And um, it's, it's told really well. And I am glad that I'm seeing it now because I probably wouldn't have been able to really receive it until now. And I just, it's just a really beautiful story of a human being, you know? Um, and, uh, it's, it kind of feels related to what I was just talking about of like find finding yourself, you know, finding yourself within all of it and knowing your part and not letting that go. Um, even if you have to let everything else go pretty powerful. I cried (laughs) watching it. Um, so I highly recommend it. It's on HBO max right now. And maybe this was what I wanted to mention. Um, But we also watched, finished up The Lady in the Dale, which was recommended to me by somebody on Twitter. So whoever you were, thank you for recommending that. Um, I really enjoyed it. And the last episode, I highly recommend watching the whole thing so that you can watch the last episode. It's four hours. It's four episodes. Um, Because, I mean, you could watch the last one out of context, but it's not going to have the same impact as if you watch the whole thing. And I think it's just a really powerful piece of television and, um, you know, is to me really needed because we don't, you know, there's become a a narrative for better or for worse of trans people, specifically trans women, and that they can only really be one way and that there is one way. And that's, you know, a narrative that's happened. And I think that, um, 
more stories is always positive, especially when they're true, <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially when they're not fiction and malleable and um, affected by, uh, you know, cisgender people who want to understand but don't get it and pay somebody to consult and then they don't listen to them. So anyway, so watch that. Watch both of those if you need something to watch and if you're not watching baseball. Um, and speaking of baseball, how about we just get into it? Because there's no ads today. Uh, maybe there's going to be ads soon. Let's hope so. Just, you know, for my sake so that I keep doing it, but not for your sake because you probably don't want to listen to it. But, you know, I appreciate you listening to both. So we just got a couple line items this week. Uh, Joe Musgrove throws the Padres' first no-hitter in its 53-year franchise history. Isn't that wild? What a trip. I mean, it's bound to happen. But, like, you know, this is what I love about baseball is that these things take so long to happen. (laughs) And we got to see it and we got to wait and what a story it was. On Friday, San Diego Padres pitcher Joe Musgrove threw the first no-hitter in the Padres' 53-year history blanking the Texas Rangers 3-0 at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. Somebody on Twitter said that Globe Life Field, where amazing things happen in baseball, but just not for the Rangers. And I feel like the Rangers are the new Cleveland, and Cleveland just doesn't even really exist because they're basically, with the exception of like Jose Ramirez, and unfortunately, I'm sorry to everybody on that team, they're just like not really a team. They're not contenders, and it's just not going to happen in their their ownership does not give a shit. So they're basically not even a team. Anyway, Musgrove struck out 10 batters over his nine shutout frames. He threw 112 pitches and allowed just one base runner after hitting outfielder Joey Gallo with a pitch. In the bottom of the fourth, I'm going to leave the yawn in because I want you guys to know how human I am. I also get this thing sometimes, you know, I'm not warmed up, I guess where like my jaw tightens up and I guess I got to start doing like vocal or exercises before I do podcasts or stand up because I would imagine getting right back into stand up and not, you know, trying to do an hour without exercising myself is going (laughs) to, it's going to be interesting. So basically he had a perfect game, if not for the one hit by pitch. Uh, Padres pitchers had no hit opponents through eight innings of a total of 23 times before, but this was the first complete no-hitter in franchise history. Joe Musgrove was born and raised in San Diego County and grew up a Padres fan. You love to see it. This is his second start for his hometown team after being traded from the Pirates in the offseason. So the Pirates basically just like grow pitching talent and then they send it off once it's good to go. Uh, Musgrove has now thrown... 31 consecutive shutout innings dating back to last year. He's held opponents scoreless over his last four starts, including six shutout frames against the Arizona Diamondbacks last Saturday. Musgrove's no-hitter was MLB's first since Chicago Cubs left-hander Alec Mills threw one on September 13th against the Milwaukee Brewers. The catcher that day was Victor Caratini. Look at this. And he was behind the plate for Musgrove's performance as well after joining the Padres in the offseason as part of the U Darvish trade. Caratini the, became the first MLB catcher to be behind the plate for consecutive no-hitters in the league for different teams. How about that? That's pretty effing cool. I was stoked that it was Caratini just because of the U Darvish deal, but look at this. I didn't even know about that. Also, just like we're in the f- opening week still, and he threw a no-hitter in opening week. I will say Trevor Bauer almost had one a couple years ago and got pulled. 
Um, and so I'm glad now Trevor Bauer, obviously people have a lot of thoughts about that guy and we'll probably get into that again in the season. Um, that was something that I meant to have Brett bench coach Brett write about, but I forgot, um, he, some of his, uh, baseballs that he threw last week were confiscated. I think the A's tipped them off. Um, and he's getting in trouble now for substances, you know, foreign substances for pitching, which it is true. Pitchers have been using these things for years, for decades, for centuries. But, you know, it's just like this is kind of what you get when you do stuff, like when you treat people like garbage. I don't know. Um, but I do think ultimately that it's going to be a net positive because if pitchers maybe, and I don't know, who knows, but like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, beat the guy down too hard. It's already, ha- he's going to do it to himself. So I don't really need to do much anyway. Uh, so I'm glad to see a team going for it and like letting, letting the no hitter happen. Cause like at least give legit fans the thing they want to see. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. We're just, I, I believe in limiting pitch counts because no one wants to see, you know, a, a guy who can't even lift his arm anymore. But at the same time, this is what they want to do. So it's what we all want to see. Um, and then speaking of hit by pitch, also something I forgot about. The Michael Conforto walk-off hit by pitch was some bullshit. And I am like all for the Mets this year, or at least I was. And I talked to a Mets fan who was like, I love it. I don't care how we win. And I just can't get down with that. You know, like I can't get down with that. That being said, I mean, every team is employing some sort of cheating. However, that was ridiculous. And like that shit, I mean, I've played with people who do that shit and it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And I just, I just can't get down with it. It's, um, Bush league or whatever. I don't know if that's an offensive thing to say anymore, but I, I just, I just think it's terrible. I, I think I, I'm like, it wasn't even the strike. It wasn't even strike three, you know, like to me, that's just like, you don't believe in yourself and it's a shitty way to win. It's just a shitty way to win. So I don't know. Um, but then speaking about the Dodgers, the Dodgers ring ceremony was uh Friday and our mayor was booed thoroughly. Now I pointed this out. I said, I love LA on Twitter. People pointed out to me that every mayor gets booed. And then somebody was like, who didn't get booed? And uh, I think Obama in his first year with the White Sox and George Bush after 9-11 came up. And I was like, guys, those are not mayors. So very different scenario. And like, yeah, I get it that all the mayors get booed because everybody dislikes their politicians. But I still love to see it. (laughs) Garcetti sucks. And. To be totally honest, probably those people booing him are not booing him for the same reasons that I would be booing him. But I still get pleasure out of it nonetheless, which might make me a terrible person. Also very funny that the woman completely mispronounced Gil Sadio's name, who is my council councilman, um, who I keep sort of, you know, jokingly and not jokingly saying I'm going to run against him. Uh, but she called him Gil Sadil, which is very funny. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just funny because people in positions of power need to be taken down every now and then, especially at a World Series ring ceremony. And I'll, I'll tell you that this gave me a lot of feelings, many feelings. And uh, I guess that's the whole game is just being able to feel all of them. The 2020 World Series champion L.A. Dodgers received their rings on Friday before their home opener against the Washington Nationals. It was also the Dodgers' first game in front of fans at Dodger Stadium in 18 months. There was a tweet, a photo of 
the last photo of Ker- Clayton Kershaw in front of fans, which was him just failed in the dugout against the Washington Nationals and then him with the ring on. Um, and, you know, to me, a powerful juxtaposition of time, you know, it just keeps going. And if you can keep going, you can keep going. Um, Eric Garcetti, the L.A. mayor, was on hand for the ring ceremony and was loudly booed by the hometown crowd when his name was announced. The booing was loud and raucous despite the fact that Dodger Stadium was only filled to 20% capacity due to COVID restrictions. Garcetti has been heavily criticized for his handling of the coronavirus pandemic, especially when it came to L.A.'s wildly inconsistent lockdown orders. In January, the mayor faced additional backlash when he received a first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine despite not meeting California's eligibility requirements. He received the vaccine at Dodger Stadium, which also, by the way, uh, (laughs) they shut they shut down Dodger Stadium, the parking lot so that it could be parking. And it was it's the largest vaccination site in the city. So like, am I like, oh, yay, these guys get their rings. We'll get their smiles. And also shit (laughs) like it's all happening at the same time garcetti here's the thing about garcetti at the beginning i was like oh man he's doing a good job because they like locked it down and then you know they listened to the money and restaurant owners and and like when i say restaurant owners i don't mean mom and pops i mean chain restaurants i mean chain national places lobbied against these lockdowns and it went back and forth and back and forth and these things that often like I have to remember just cause I'm watching something on Twitter, like rollout does. And I have common sense does not mean that I know better or best, but I will say that it did feel like consistently in Los Angeles and perhaps where you live, we would lock down and the numbers would come down. And so instead of saying we need to just do this for a little bit longer, they would then just open the floodgates again. And then it would be up to us to not go out. And it seemed like pure common sense to just keep it how it was and pay people to stay home. And they did not want to do that. They wanted people to stay home and also go out and work. So (laughs) it just made no sense. And I mean, I'm sure that a lot of the booze were for the lockdowns and the inconsistency. Garcetti is also a coward uh, who who uh, sides with the LAPD and the LASD um, and, you know, is a great example of why you cannot simply vote blue no matter who as a consistent method of voting as a as an ideology or an ethic. You know what I mean? Like when I get to the voting booth. Yes. Does that occur for the most part when I when when the voting booth is when the names are on the ballot, yes. However, when you get to the binary system of, guess what, you've got to vote Democrat or Republican, like, yeah, I vote Democrat, even when I don't want to. But I guess I'm sharing this because, like, we need to change the way we act in politics, in our government, like, less about politics and more about government, and looking at what people are actually doing, who is paying them, Who is giving them the most money? Who are they spending their time with on the campaign? Are they taking money from cops? Are they spending money with time with cops? Do they 
care about teachers? Do they care about healthcare? Or do they just care about a photo op and then moving on? Do they care about being the mayor because they want to be the mayor or because they want to be the president? You know, these are the things that we actually need to start start caring about. And I'm not going to say I wish I would have cared more before because I couldn't have. And I have always cared, but I didn't have a lot of information. You know, I didn't have the experience of, I mean, I was voting in a deeply Republican place, like a, a, a deeply like union left Democrat area, but with a ton of libertarian Republican around. So it really felt like the op- only and strong option was Democrat, you know, and there wasn't much diversity. And I don't mean like, you know, I, I don't mean not, I, I mean, diversity of Democrats, you know, there was just like the Democrat and then the, the Republican. So yeah, vote Democrat all the way down. But we don't, I, I feel as though we're in a time now, which is great where people are primarying, people are making runs for it. Uh, in neighborhood councils and city councils and state senates and, uh, you know, representatives and and people at many different levels with many different ideals and platforms are beginning to run. And so I I beg you to pay attention to your local politics, see who is running, like check the DSA. They are they are really running a lot of and endorsing a lot of great uh, campaigns. You don't have to join, but you can use them as somebody to go like, oh, these are other people that are running. And typically, like DSA, there are a lot of like grassroots Democrat, uh, like young Democrats all across the country. You can find many slates in many places. DSA wants to let you know who is running. So like they're just a good resource because they're constantly posting about who's running. So somebody like Nina Turner uh, is, you know, people will get you out. Like there are tons of organizations to find different uh, candidates who are running for these different levels. And it's important. It's important to have people at every level of government who are doing it because they actually want to implement things like Medicare for all or universal health care, the pro act and the green new deal. And not because they want to be president you know, like, <laughs> like, because they actually want to do the job that they're campaigning for. Like, that's what I think is really important now. And that's what I'm sharing with you guys. That's what I believe in. And that's what I think is important, especially now, because we're running out of time for the Green New Deal. We're running out of time for climate change. We are running out of time, you know, and I don't want to move to Mars. Mars looks like shit. Uh, so on a slightly lighter note, um, one person who did not get booed was longtime Dodger pitcher and future Hall of Famer Clayton Kershaw, whose well-documented postseason woes were finally vanquished with last season's World Series championship. Kershaw was all smiles when he received his ring. Very happy for that guy. His humility and patience. And I mean, I just it's, you know, like. To, to know, I remember reading him saying like, maybe I'm just not built for this. And it was like one of the saddest things I've ever read, but his, his willingness to say that out loud, whoo, crazy. That is a powerful thing. So I am very happy for him because he, and the fact that he like did like a mid series start, you know, um, and wasn't on the line 
powerful, powerful to say like, Hey, I'm not the guy <laughs> like he, that's what he learned. I'm, I'm not that guy, you know, I'm not the guy. Um, and so incredible, incredible to be able to do that. Powerful thing. Happy, very, very happy for Clayton Kershaw. Fernando Tatis, his shoulder injury, his shoulder industry. Man, this really, really, really made me sad when I saw this. The baseball world held its collective breath last Monday after San Diego Padres star shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. crumpled to the ground following a hard swing that awkwardly twisted his body around. Tatis left the game with a partially dislocated left shoulder. Imagine dislocating your own shoulder swinging a baseball bat. And a subsequent MRI revealed a slight tear in his labrum. Doctors advised the Padres that this is not a season-ending injury for Tatis and that he won't do additional damage to his shoulder by continuing to play. I thought he was going to be out for months. So this is wild news. However, this is not a new concern for Tatis, who battled left shoulder discomfort throughout spring training. The Padres are hopeful that Tatis will spend the minimum time on the 10-day IL and that he could return as early as April 16th. I thought he was going to be gone for six months. Other players that have had this injury have been gone for a long amount of time. But Tatis was seen working out and taking batting practice before Saturday's game against the Rangers. I mean, I'm glad because I don't want to see... I want to watch him play, obviously want him to be healthy and not do lasting damage to his body, but... Holy shit, you know, I really thought, oof, yikes, you know. Uh, and then to wrap up the baseball talk, we've got the hot starts of the season. Several teams and players are off to surprising hot starts after the first week of the season. Which of these hot starts do you believe in and which are temporary? Well, the one that I think is temporary is the Cincinnati Reds. But at the same time, maybe they come in second. I don't know. Uh, the Reds are off to a smoking 6-1 start thanks to hot hitting from left field Nick Cassianos with a 4-3-5 batting average. Holy shit. And four home runs. And left fielder Tyler Naquin with a 3-18 batting average and five home runs, which as of yesterday or maybe the day before, he had the most home runs in the league. Uh, Tyler Naquin, former Cleveland player, had an inside-the-park home run, then threw up some goats a couple years ago. Maybe that was 2016. Pretty exciting guy. We probably don't agree on much, but I do like the way he plays, and I like his haircut. Uh, <clears throat> the Reds scored 57 runs and hit 14 home runs through their first six games. I think the Boston Red Sox are catching up to them on that today. They're winning something like 16-1 to against the Orioles. Uh, that's through their first six games while boasting a team slash line of 314, 396, 560. So if you take out the pitchers, that slash line jumps to even higher at 325, 411, 589. Uh, and what is that? Batting average, slugging, and on-base percentage. So pretty amazing. In a single 24-hour stretch last week, the Reds scored 25 runs, beating the Pirates 14-1 to on Tuesday night and then 11-4 to on Wednesday ab- afternoon. I think they'll have staying power. I don't think they'll be this hot. But they do have, like, a hitting lineup. They have Suarez. They have Moustakas. They have Naquin, who's apparently got a hot bat in Cincinnati. They've got Castellanos. Uh, Nick Senzel, pretty decent. Um, they've just got... Who plays first base for them? Oh, Joey Votto, who hasn't been hitting great, but um, they have a hot, hot lineup. And when you're hot, you're hot. And you stay, when everybody's hitting around you, you tend to hit, you know. 
Um, so then we move on to the Los Angeles Angels. The Angels are off to their hottest start of the Mike Trout era with a 6-2 record, thanks in large part to the resurgence of two-way phenom Shohei Otani. Otani grabbed headlines last Sunday night against the White Sox when he hit the hardest homer and threw the hardest pitch this season in the same inning. Now, you can't get this in any other sport. Otani clocked 100.6 mile per hour fastball in the first inning and his 451 foot homer on the first pitch he saw as the Angels' number two hitter moments later went 115 off the bat. Beyond those heroics, Otani is batting 300 with three homers and eight RBI through eight games. His second pitching start was delayed because of a blister, but Otani threw seven Ks and only gave up two hits and one earned run in 4.2 innings in the first start of the season. I would love to see a consistently competitive Los Angeles Angels team, uh, especially with a diminished somewhat Houston Astros team. Um, I would love to have two competitive teams in Los Angeles. They're in Anaheim. Uh, and there's probably going to be people that are mad about that, but they've always been competitive. I would just love to see them do something with it. You know what I mean? Like, let's go, let's have some California baseball. And then our final breakout is not a team, but a single player, Akil Badu, the most unexpected breakout star of week one was Detroit Tigers rookie outfielder, Akil Badu, who until this week, hadn't played above single A minor league baseball. Badu was a third-round pick of the Minnesota Twins back in 2016 and spent four years in their minor league system before getting left off their initial 40-man roster. This offseason, the Tigers pounced, love it, needing to fill holes in a porous outfield and called Badu up at the beginning of the season. I also just want to give a shout-out to Jazz Chisholm, the second baseman of the Miami Marlins, who cranked a homer uh, off of a hundred plus mile per hour fastball by the best pitcher in baseball right now, Jacob deGrom. I believe it was the, his first pitch seeing deGrom. And I mean, he just absolutely crushed it and just pick up that guy in fantasy. If, if somebody's picked up jazz chess home because somebody already got him before I got in there and I picked up Akil Badu in both my fantasy leagues and I'm not sure, you know, I dropped Dominic Smith in my point or my categories league and that probably wasn't a great choice. Whatever. I love to chase the hot hand, man. I'm a terrible gambler, but we'll see. And then I went for Naquin in both as well. I dropped uh Michael Brantley, consistent hitter. Never going to do me wrong, but I dropped him anyway. He was one of my only uh Astros and I did uh well, maybe I don't need to admit to that. I don't uh, hitting eighth in the Tigers lineup, Badu spent his first week in the majors batting 385 with two homers and seven RBI. Badu became the 31st player in MLB history to hit a home run on the first pitch he saw as a big leaguer when he took Cleveland's Aaron Savali deep in the third inning of a losing effort on Sunday, April 4th. Badu then hit a grand slam in the very next game, becoming the first player in Tigers history to go deep in each of his first two games. The Tigers have been around since 1901, so that's a long time. And on Tuesday, Badu hit a walk-off RBI single in the bottom of the 10th to beat the Twins, becoming the first player in modern big league history with a grand slam, another homer, and a walk-off hit in his first three games. What a beginning. What a beginning. What a beginning. I am excited about baseball. Yes, it's complicated. Am I mad about people without masks? Absolutely. Do I wear one? Absolutely. Can I, am I going to yell at people for not wearing masks? No. 
not going to do it. I'm tired of fighting. I'm just going to do for me and provide that courtesy for other people. And I'll just keep doing that. It's only hurting you to be angry. You know what I mean? Uh, who else has surprised you in the first week of the season, either for good or bad? Uh, I would say for good, Jazz Chisholm, uh, the DeGrom, Homer, pretty fantastic. Um, and then for bad, kind of surprised with Scherzer giving up four home runs. I did not draft him in my points league for that exact reason. Then I ended up drafting him in my categories league. Not surprised, but really didn't see him giving up four home runs in his first start. So not great. Uh, and then speaking of not great, but also some good in there, uh, we've got an anti-trans law updates for you. This is from the Human Rights Campaign. I didn't read where the other ones are from. Sorry about that. This past week, state legislatures across the country continued their vicious onslaught of legislation aimed at delegitimizing the identity and experiences of transgender people and specifically transgender youth. I would also offer that it is... If you look up the definition of genocide, it's specific to ethnicity. So if you can accept and we can begin to understand that there is perhaps if you can expand your understanding of ethnicity uh, to include the individual as, and their experience, then what's actually happening is uh, a, a genocide um, because the intent of all of these laws specifics be damned, is to erase the existence of trans people. It is to force trans people to either die or uh, not outwardly express their inner spirit and to not transition in any way uh, and then just wait till never, pretty much, and remain what they supposedly are on the outside. Um, and so that is, you know, a genocide in a way it's, uh, it is. And I hope that everybody listening can understand that this is not just a ideology, ideology fight or culture war, that this is how these things go. That, that we say like, no, that's not, you can't do that. You can't do that. You make somebody's life so small that they basically can't exist in public. And so then you have people only being themselves in their homes which is just not a liberty. It's a prison. Um, on Tuesday, Arkansas became the first state to outlaw gender-affirming health care for transgender youth, such as puberty blockers and hormone treatment, after overriding a veto by Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson. I do want to point out that it is a, a, a huge positive that the governor vetoed this bill. It is important to acknowledge that he did not put it into law. And it's important to note that we have a system where the the presiding vote can just be overturned, um, which is not a democracy. Uh, it, what is the point of having a governor um, if, if they don't have a final say on something? Um, but, you know, I don't know. Either way, we don't we've never had a democracy is the thing. So any illusion that we've ever had it, it was uh, white supremacy teach, making me think that we had that. Um, <clears throat> and I also just want to point out to anybody that's unsure, doesn't know if you're new to this podcast, um, these in many of the laws that are about health care, um, you know, it gets blown out of proportion that 
you know, oh, it's about surgeries. Like we're, we're, um, we're cutting children up or something like that. And for the most part, the majority of, uh, gender affirming healthcare for children is reversible. Not that that should be the ultimate presiding goal, but that's everyone's concern, which ultimately to me, mind your own fucking business. You know what I mean? Like it's not, even if I talk about, which I do talk about the fact that I take hormones uh, and I, I have had medical transitions uh, that does not mean that it's anybody's business. I'm sharing that, you know, and I understand there are consequences for sharing things on a public level. But I also just want to point out, like, just because somebody shares something on a public level, it doesn't mean that they want to talk about it at every moment, you know, and you you cannot write a law just because you don't want to hear about shit. Like, <laughs> just because you don't want to know about people, which brings me back to the genocidal part of it. But anyway, uh, we're not talking about, you know, surgeries for children necessarily. Like, that's not the presiding affirming healthcare. It's not the prominent healthcare. There are children who require surgery uh, that's cosmetic. Often, those children are cisgender. And that's something that we do. And nobody has a problem with it. Also, just want to point out, we circumcise infants every day. Every day, those children have no choice in that. None. It's not reversible. And we just like as a society have decided that's what needs to be done. And like it doesn't, <laughs> you know, and it it doesn't actually. Uh, but then when a child and a parent or family or whatever, they they have an understanding and a discussion and they seek treatment from their doctor and that doctor says, well, um, if this child, you know, is trans and does not want to, you know, experience puberty, they can take puberty blockers. And then it, if that changes, they can stop taking them and then they have puberty. Like to me, and I, I talked to, to Chase Strangio about this on our show. To me, that sounds like it, it's honestly like a miracle drug, because if I were a child now, I would absolutely want that. I would absolutely want that, especially knowing and this is me personally, knowing that I could stop if I needed to. What a dream. What a dream. What a dream. What an absolute dream to find out, you know, because puberty was hell for me. I didn't want the body that I got. You know, I wanted the body that I had. Like, that's also the thing <laughs> for me, you know, and I think every trans person goes through this because this is what I've heard from many people. I didn't think I was trans enough. I didn't think because X, Y, Z and the way that I thought this and well, because I didn't want to full, you know, I didn't want to like go, go do all the surgery and I didn't want to change my name. And I, I still kind of don't want to change my name and all these things. Like I thought I wasn't trans enough, so I didn't need to do that, you know, or, you know, because I didn't quote, you know, I didn't quote, ha I'm not a man trapped inside of a woman's body, which sometimes I do feel like that. And sometimes I don't, but my brain Instead of my heart, I was in my brain. My brain told me, well, then, yeah, you're, you're stuck, kid. This is what you are. And I'm even just realizing this and speaking to you right now is that the body that I got, you know, the body that I was born into was actually the body that I wanted. It's the puberty that I didn't want. It's the change that I didn't want. 
And I can't say with 100% certainty because I don't have a time machine. But if I could have stayed in that body, it would have been a lot different. I'm grateful for everything and anything up until right now. So I have zero regrets. I couldn't take it before I could take it. And having surgery was a tremendous life-changing experience all around. And so I'm incredibly grateful for it. But it is important that people have access and ability to the things that they need to live a free and healthy life. And that's what this is. It's not a luxury. It's not a bunch of like upper class white kids. It's like, it's a lot of kids. It's also a small population. So when I say it's a lot, it's not one kind of person, you know, and they don't want our numbers growing because the numbers are growing because of visibility and then visibility without protection is violence, you know? So like it's all related and connected and we are all one and we have to fight these movements against uh freedom basically so that was kind of all over the place but i just you know i have a lot of thoughts on this <laughs> i have a lot of thoughts and feelings on this and i feel like at the same time i kind of missed some things but the following day the west virginia state senate passed house bill 3293 an anti-transgender bill that would ban transgender girls and women from participating in sports at the elementary secondary or post-secondary level consistent with their gender identity the bill now heads back to the house for concurrence on the senate version and in addition to arkansas and west virginia 28 other states have introduced a slate of discriminatory anti-lgbtq legislation this session part of a fast and furious effort led by national groups aiming to stymie LGBTQ progress made on the national level and in many states. There are so there are so far more than 200 anti-LGBTQ bills under consideration in state legislatures across the country. Of those, 105 directly target transgender people and about half of those bills, 56, would like HB 3293 banned transgender girls and women from participating in sports consistent with their gender identity. Legislators across the country have failed to provide examples of issues in their states to attempt to justify these attacks, laying bare the reality that these are attacks on transgender youth, specifically transgender women and girls. They seem to mostly leave transgender boys and men out of the equation, perhaps because they do not see them as a threat. Uh, that fueled, fueled by discrimination and not yet supported by fact. Collegiate and professional sports organizer organizations have had trans-inclusive policies for years without incident. There is no such thing. There is just no such thing. This is not the plot to ladybugs. We are not talking about men putting on dresses and playing sports. First of all, nobody wears a dress to play sports. Second of all, transgender women are not men. <laughs> You know, I don't say trans women are women. Transgender women are not men. They're women. And excluding them from women's sports is using the same bigotry and discrimination and misogyny that was used against, quote, women to keep women out of sports for a century. So to see supposed feminists and uh, L and G 
and B people, I guess, for the most part, but cisgender LGB people um, all of a sudden put a hand up and go, well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can go this far. Like, literally go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, literally go fuck yourself. Because uh, this is as bad, if not worse, than what the religious right has done to you for years for decades and centuries and now you feel fine so you're willing to literally stand with them because honestly if you do not stand with every letter in lgbtq then you stand against it you just do and if you you you've been through that you've been through you know the constitutional amendments about same-sex marriage and all this shit you've watched it all and you're still willing to go like yeah well then fuck you if, if you have not learned a fucking thing from any of this, like, fuck you. <laughs> so if you're a listener and I'm telling you, fuck you, I hope you can hear that. I really intended it to, like, the elite people, the elite gays that have been outspoken against trans issues. More so they're outspoken for the people who are outspoken against trans issues. That's, I guess, that's, I guess where that comes from and why it upsets me so much. They're willing to see the other side. There is no other side. There is no other side. There is no other side. This is why I identify mostly as queer, you know, because, uh, I, I try to, uh, feel myself in the most inclusive form of community or, population and to me queer makes the most sense because there's no delineation you know uh the only thing it delineates is outside of the hetero patriarchy you know um as much as i possibly can obviously it's a daily practice to step outside of that and to recognize it and to see it in myself uh and understand and uh work on surrendering and changing that as much as I possibly can. Anyway, uh, if you live in any of the states with the 28 bills, or if you don't, emailing and calling is still something we should be doing. We should be doing this for all of it. It takes less than 15 minutes. We should also be willing and able and ready to have the conversations when they come up, because I know that they are. People are saying things out of the side of their mouth or laughing or whatever. And I t I'm telling you, it's scary but if you can if you can find the power and the kindness to say, what do you mean by that? And then have the conversation about, um, you know, trans women in sports and uh, say, like, you know, that's that's not actually like the reality, you know, and just have the conversation with people. We can be a part of the change. We can be a part of the the uplift of this. We can be a part of the positive action of this. It is not all negative. We cannot fight negativity with more negativity. We cannot destroy something that is destruction. We must create to, to end destruction. I truly believe that. That's why we can't destroy hatred and evil. We can't destroy homophobia, transphobia. We actually have to create the world that we want to live in, which is I have to act those ways to create that environment. I mean, I, I actually asked for help the other day from somebody and they started helping me and it's changed everything. So you never know. You never know what a positive and what I mean is an outward action. I don't mean, oh, positive. I mean, literally positive outside, like push it out as opposed to negative pulling in um, that like you just throw the net of love out there and you never know what you're going to catch. You know, you never know what's going to catch you. So anyway, this is 
sad, negative, hard, difficult, but I promise you that we can do it together because we already are. Um, and I see all of you out there and I love all of you and I hope that you're having a good, um, April. I hope that the spring has found you. I hope that you have love in your life. Um, and if you feel like you don't, I want you to know, I truly, genuinely, absolutely love you in this moment. So I appreciate you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate everybody who reaches out and tells me that uh, my journey has helped their journey. I'm happy to be on this journey with you, all of us together. I appreciate you and your support and your love and your kindness so much. I don't know that I'll ever be able to repay all of you, um, but you have given me so much um, in my life. And so I'm I'm just very grateful for that. And so I hope that um, you can pass that on just a little bit. And, and if you need to hold it for yourself. <laughs> um, so I thank you all for listening so much. Um, and yeah, check out good trouble on Freeform. Uh, it's a really great show. I'm really, really, really grateful to be a part of it. This season is tremendous. Um, and y'all are going to love this episode that we just wrapped up. It's really great. Sherry Cole is fantastic. Kara Wang, uh, Zuri, Adele, Emma Hunt, and Maya Mitchell, Sierra R- Ramirez, um, yeah, Tommy Martinez, like it's Gutierrez. I, anyway, I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing great, uh, feeling feelings and I can't remember everybody's names, but I love that show. It's really great. It's done a lot for me and, uh, I hope I've done something for you and I hope you can go do something for yourself and somebody else today. Um, and as always, if you liked it, you liked it forever. Dog. This has been a forever dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.